This is Heidi Fessler of Barnes and Thornburg, and you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 88 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Heidi Fessler of Barnes & Thornburg, and we will talk about the GDPR, uh, the General Data Protection Regulation in the EU. But before we jump into the interview, I have some news for you. WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization in Switzerland, has just launched a new translation tool. You may know that uh, with PatentScope, their patent tool, uh, translation was already possible, but now the new translation tool can uh, translate from Arabic, from German, from Spanish, from French, from Korean, from Japanese, from Portuguese, from Russian, from Chinese, everything into English and vice versa. And not only for PCT publications, but for any patent documents that are in the database. Initially, the tool was only available for translation into English and Chinese and vice versa, but now it is available for all these languages. The backend of the tool has been updated and is now using artificial intelligence and a neural machine translation technology. So they say that this translation is the cutting edge best translation tool for patents ever. The EU IPO has just published four decisions of the executive director of the EU IPO. Um, the first decision is uh, concerning the formal requirements of priority and seniority claims for EUTMs, European trademarks and international registrations designating the EU. The second decision uh, is concerns the formal requirements of priority claims of registered community designs. The third decision concerns the technical specifications for annexes submitted on data carriers. And the last of the four decision, uh, decisions concerns the method of payment of fees and charges. These decisions will all take effect starting from 1st of October 2017. Now let's jump into the interview with Heidi Fessler. Ralph, our guest today on IP Fridays is Heidi Fessler. Heidi is of counsel in Barnes & Thornburg's Minneapolis office and a member of the litigation department and the e-discovery, data, and document management practice group. Heidi concentrates her practice on discovery and data-related issues, cyber and data security, and internal investigation services. In addition, Ms. Fessler acts as the designated National Discovery Council for a large healthcare organization where she works with the organization, external merits council, and in-house council to create defensible and cost-effective discovery practices. With nearly 25 years of experience as an attorney and as a data management consultant, Heidi counsels clients in data security and data breach incident response, internal investigations, risk management, litigation readiness planning, 
information governance policies and strategies. She also assists clients with program training and implementation and information management technology selection. Heidi earned her JD from Rutgers University School of Law in 1991 and her BA magna cum laude from the University of Wisconsin in 1987. Welcome, Heidi, to IP Fridays. Hi, hi, Ken. Uh, Heidi, today we're going to focus on a topic on the minds of many, and that is the GDPR. What is the GDPR, Heidi? Well, Ken, the GDPR actually is the General Data Protection Regulation that was promulgated and adopted by the European Union in 2016. Mm -hmm. And this is fast approaching as the requirement for all companies in the EU with the effective date of May 25th, 2018. Okay, so next be, year. Exactly, full mm -hmm. force and effect. So companies really need to be thinking about this now. They probably, if they understood what was happening, were thinking about it several years ago as well. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it is, is it took four years for the European Union to put this law into effect. And it's going to give EU citizens transparency and control over their personal data, including the right to be forgotten. And it requires certain things such as parental consent as well. And what constitutes personal data under the GDPR? Well, the good news is that the GDPR provides a lot more definition regarding the what is personal data so there's less room for interpretation or error by that's companies. That's helpful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But the directive that preceded the GDPR was quite vague and there was just a lot of dispute regarding how it was implemented and what it really reached as far as personal data. Mm -hmm. So any information related to a natural person or a data subject that can be either used directly or indirectly to identify that person is considered personal data. And that can be anything from a name, which is obvious, a photo perhaps, an individual's email address. So yes, all the emails are affected by this Okay. throughout the EU. That's big. Huge. Yeah. Bank details, posts on social networking websites, medical information, and even a computer's IP address. There's also a lot more personal data than what we think of in the United States. Things such as somebody's religious beliefs or life philosophies, in fact, are considered to be personal data wow. under the rules. Wow. Now, what do the terms data processor and data controller mean in connection with the GDPR? Well, these are tough terms because they don't mean what you think they mean, perhaps. Okay. But even before we talk about that, we really should explain what the term processing means because it doesn't mean what I normally would have thought it meant. Under the GDPR, processing means essentially anything that is done to, with, or dealing with personal data that includes simply collecting it, mm -hmm. simply storing it, or even the deletion of that personal data is considered to be processing. And so this definition of processing is really pretty broad yes. and all-encompassing. And this is significant because it clarifies the fact that EU data protection law is likely to apply wherever an, organiz or an organization does anything that involves or affects personal data. Mm -hmm. So the first other term we need to understand is that of data controller. And a data controller under the 
GDPR is defined as any entity that determines the purposes, condition, and means of the processing of personal data. So the storage, the handling, the deletion of stored of personal data. So it's a natural or a legal person, public authority, agency, or a company, which alone or jointly with others determines the purposes and means of the processing of that data. And so a data processor is any entity which processes okay. personal data on behalf of the data controller. This gets confusing because looking at some organizations, we can't decide if they're a processor or a controller. And the directive, the regulation actually makes it possible for one entity to be both. Wow. A processor and a controller. How would that be? What would be the circumstances there? Well, if you're directing another part of your organization, mm -hmm. you're, you're the one collecting the information, you're the one whose goal it is to obtain that information as part of your business, mm -hmm. you're also, by that very nature, if you're holding it internally, you're deciding when it's deleted, which is processing. Got it. So there's just a lot of interplay between those two terms, which I think can make it very difficult to fully define in any definitive sense, whether you're a processor or controller of data. Might that be a topic of dispute in the future when there's enforcement issues? Absolutely, although the GDPR actually makes it on some levels, not as meaningful because they both have obligations okay. under the GDPR. Now, how do I know if the GDPR applies to my company? Let's say I'm sitting in Tallahassee or I'm sitting in Provo, Utah. What will it apply to me? Depends on what you do. Mm -hmm. um, the GDPR definitely applies to all entities within the European Union, mm -hmm. but it also applies to any company that does business. Aha, uh -huh, that's the key word, right? With citizens okay. of the EU. So you may do business with other companies in the EU that then you would be bound by the GDPR. Yeah. But also if you sell your goods or services to individuals within the EU, you are going to be bound by that. Okay. And also, um, not just the EU, but Norway, Switzerland, and the UK still okay. is going to apply. Okay. And how how effectively will this change the way companies do business? What what's going to change once this goes into effect? Well, before this, under the directive that preceded the GDPR, if a company was defined as a data processor under that directive, meaning that they process personal data on behalf of another company, they would be considered the data controller. The compliance with privacy requirements sat squarely on the shoulders of the controller. Okay. Data controller. Now it is shared by both. They're both accountable and responsible for the handling of EU citizens' personal data. Mm -hmm. And it also explicitly now provides to citizens of the EU the following defined rights. The requirement that they obtain your consent for data processing is a right that is now held by all EU citizens. And processing of that personal data is lawful only if and to the extent that they it is permitted under the EU data protection law. Each and every data processing activity requires a lawful basis okay. under this regulation. And consent will oftentimes be the way you have a lawful basis. So it must be obtained subject to the regulations. There can be other lawful reasons for maintaining personal data that do not require consent. But for most of our companies, it's going to be very, very important that they nail down that consent piece. And without a lawful basis for obtaining 
holding, handling, and processing personal data. That is unlawful and subject to fines and even sometimes criminal action. So it's really important for all companies to understand what consent yes. means in this context. So the requirements for valid consent under the GDPR are for consent to be valid, the data subjects, for, or in other words, whoever's personal data you have, must be provided with a clear explanation of the processing to which they are consenting. Okay. So why are they grabbing my data? Why do they hold my data? Why do they maintain my data? Why are they destroying my data? And how are they going to use my data? So how do they get it? How do they use it? And Disclosure, when, actually, right? Full disclosure. Yeah. And it also means that when you cease using the data for the stated reason, you can't use it for some other reason. You must return it, destroy it, delete it. The consent mechanism is meant to be genuinely voluntary and therefore it must be opt in, not opt out in nature, okay. which is different. Data subjects are per permitted to withdraw their consent very easily, which is difficult for some organizations to monitor and maintain and understand how to remove that personal data from their data stores. Mm -hmm. um, the organization cannot rely on silence or inactivity in their collection of the consent. So pre-ticked boxes is, are not allowed in a form. Consent must be clear and affirmative. Inactivity or silence doesn't work. And then Article 4 of the GDPR says consent must be freely given, specific, informed, unambiguous, indication of their wishes from the data subject, either by statement or by clear affirmative action. And mandatory parental consent is required for the processing of any personal data of anyone less than the age of 16. Okay. And that makes it very important for companies to track and maintain record yes. of when they obtain that consent. Exactly. There's going to be a lot of uh, e-commerce and documents and things going back and forth Absolutely. in connection with this subject. Absolutely. And there's some additional rights that the GDPR also provides. They also provide the right for an EU citizen to be forgotten. In other words, all of their personal data to be erased if it is no longer needed for the reasons it was originally collected. Hmm. So the right to be forgotten is something that's quite foreign to us. And there's also new requirements for data breach notification and safe handling of data transfer across borders. Interesting, Heidi. Let's switch gears and talk about the title of a data protection officer. Does a company need to have one? Well, that really depends. First, let's talk about what is a data protection officer. Mm -hmm. For certain businesses that we'll talk about, it will be mandatory that they designate a data protection officer to oversee the GDPR compliance. That officer is responsible for the company's personal data protection compliance, and they are the person who is going to be provided as the primary contact across the organization to work on data protection issues. Mm -hmm. They're also gonna to have to fulfill the following tasks under the GDPR. They must inform and advise the relevant controllers and processors of the data of their obligations, so kind of a learning moment, mm -hmm. and then they must monitor that compliance of all controllers and processors of personal data, and then they are gonna be advising on impact assessments of changes in contractual language and also prior consultation with the direct authorities. So now, 
when do you need one? Yeah, when, when do you need one? Okay, well, a data protection officer will be required of all public authorities other than the courts. Mm -hmm. They also will be required where the core activities of the controller or processor requires regular and systematic monitoring of data subjects on a large scale. Now, they don't define large, so I think we're going to see more guidance on that, what constitutes large. And they'll also be required where the core activities of the controller or the processor involve large-scale processing of special categories of sensitive personal data, such as philosophical beliefs of individuals, political opinions. So imagine um, if this were, if it were like the Democratic Party, our, the Democratic Party's roles, the Republican Party's roles. Same would apply for anybody who has um, is maintaining lists of people's political affiliations. Mm -hmm. Race or ethnic origins, biometric, and genetic information for the purposes of identifying a natural person or any data concerning their health. Mm -hmm. Is this a, a position that would be granted to someone already at the company who might be doing other things for the company? And who it, might that person be? It definitely could be. We have seen a lot of discussion over who's going to be the best person in an organization to be appointed as the data protection officer. And it's really not clear. Um, a lot of people initially say this has got to be the head of IT. Right. And that's probably not really a very appropriate party. Okay. Um, more appropriate if an organization has a privacy officer, that would certainly be appropriate. It's good that they have legal and regulatory understanding, experience, and authority. And this person really needs to be somebody with some significant authority. Yes. But also the time to devote to this task. Mm -hmm. uh, data breach. I mean, we're hearing about this almost every day. What happens under GDPR when you have a data breach? Well, in most situations, um, this is a very, they've written a lot more about data breach and they speak to um, ways you can avoid notifying. It's very vague to me. Okay. Um, but what I believe is a good rule is that you must give that notification within 72 hours of the breach of the data. And if anybody who's worked on data breaches knows it's hard to, number one, know who whose data actually has been breached in a comprehensive way. And then when that breach occurs, mm -hmm. so 72 hours after the breach event, right. you must have given notice. That's a very difficult standard to comply with. And if we're talking about violations under the GDPR, what does that translate in money-wise? Well, unfortunately, there are very significant penalties under the GDPR. There's a lot of belief that um, some companies will simply not be able to exist after they've had one violation because the penalties are so incredibly significant. Penalties or fines are calculated on the company's global annual turnover of the preceding financial year, so your gross revenue, mm -hmm. up to 4% or a cap of 20 million euros, whichever is greater. That's a considerable chunk of money. Yep. For non-compliance with the regulation. And then a 2% or 10 million euro for less important infringements. Wow. And with respect to enforcement, uh, how or who enforces the G GDPR? And uh, can it do anything to a particular company or, or client? Absolutely. The enforcement of the GDPR rests now with the Data Protection Authority. And each member state is expected to appoint one or more DPAs 
as they're called, to implement the regulation and protect the rights and freedom of individuals. And each DPA can only exercise the powers on the territory of its own member state, but under the one-stop shop rule, which is, is nice that the GDPR has instituted this one-stop shop rule, but we've yet to see how it's really gonna be applied. They can also be working with other member states' DPAs because oftentimes these matters cross the member state borders. Mm -hmm. So you may have a controlling DPA and a collaborating or coordinating DPA from other member states. And so we hope it will give greater harmonization between the member states and the various DPAs and lead to more uniform application of the data protection laws. But generally, you will only be asked to work with one DPA. So mm -hmm. you won't have to meet requirements from multiple DPAs. There will be one controlling DPA, which will be the lead supervisory authority. Um, I would like to take a look at maybe some of the things that companies should be doing now to prepare. Could you give our listeners an idea of what you recommend they do? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, um, this may sound easy, and it's actually one of the hardest things that a company can undertake, and it's to know your data. Know where your data is, know what it is, know where you got it. Mm -hmm. Have the understanding when somebody asks to be forgotten how you remove it, how you find it, because that is something that is required under this new regulation. So you need to document the personally held data fully within your system, and you need the key decision makers within the organization to understand the relevance and the requirements involved. Mm -hmm. And then you should prepare for data breaches. Data breaches happen. They happen much more than any company is aware of. They may never come to light, but they are happening. So you need to understand that with a 72-hour window to provide notice, you really need to know your data and what has happened. So have procedures in place, have done desktop exercises, have incident response plans in place, and have people really fully trained, and external resources available to you and already identified so that when it occurs, you can call in all the forces and you can actually comply with the requirements. Mm -hmm. And then you really should be able to demonstrate your corporate accountability framework, which is who's responsible, who retains, what are your obligations under the law, and have a very good data retention schedule in place. And then you should, this is a new term, embrace privacy by design, okay. which is new. Yeah. And nobody quite knows what that looks like, but it's the goal for the entire system that you create in your infrastructure and your enterprise to have privacy at your fingertips so that when somebody asks to be forgotten, you know where and how to get that data out but also that it helps with more efficient and effective processing of that personal data and also enhances your cybersecurity so that we have less breach. Yes. And when we do have breach, it's of less sensitive data. Mm -hmm. So understanding how to do that. Um, update your data retention policy quickly. Check your privacy policies and notices that you give out. Make sure those consents that you are seeking Fulfill that opt-in, not opt-out That, strategy. I think, is very important, this consent right now, to be Absolutely. looking at the consents, making sure that it complies with the GDPR. Well, I write privacy policies for websites all the time, and those essentially say if you're using our website, you've agreed to our privacy policy, and you've given us consent for your data. Mm -hmm. That's probably not going to work if you're in the EU. Okay. And since so we are truly a global economy, yes. you really now need to think about how does the EU 
consider person, personal data and privacy. And then understand all of your third-party risks, your contracts as well. Yes, But contracts. your third-party risks, what do your suppliers, what do your other entities that you work with and coordinate with, what are they doing? Because the downstream effect could well be that you have violated the GDPR because your suppliers and vendors are not up to snuff. Mm -hmm. And then be very careful with your cross-border transfer of EU data. And we, I always err on the side of opting to maintain it within the EU for starters. Yes. That helps. But even if you cross member state borders and even how you're using the data period may run afoul of the GDPR. Heidi, this has been most informative. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Well, I'd love to hear from any of you. You can reach me by email. My email is hfessler, F-E-S-S-L-E-R, at btlaw.com. And I love to hear from our listeners. Thank you, Heidi, so much for this most informative discussion and for being on IP Fridays. Thank you, Beth. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.